Welcome to the 3D Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and it's great to uh, join you on the flip side. Uh, the trade deadline has finally occurred. The, the Iggy saga is over, and the Grizzlies now um, have seen you know, the significant changes many of us expected. Uh, this week, I am glad to welcome back my co-host, Justin Lewis. Justin, how are you tonight? I'm uh, thrilled to be back, excited to talk about all the things we got going tonight. Yeah, a lot to talk about. And, you know, this is fun. This is, you know, me and me and Justin uh, came on with Grizzly Bear Blues right around the same time. We've seen our roles expand. Um, and it's moments like this that make it worth it, the ability to discuss and give our opinions about, you know, some exciting times, you know, for the Grizzlies um, and, and all that's going on. Uh, before we get into it, uh, as always, uh, you can follow us at 3 and Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Justin at J underscore Timberfake underscore. And you can follow myself at StatsSAC. Of course, you can listen to our podcast wherever podcasts are. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can get the Grizzly Bear Blues through SB Nation Podcast Network. But, you know, obviously, Justin, the big news of the week was the NBA trade, de- trade deadline. Um a deadline where you didn't really see, you know, just, you know, um, uh, besides probably, you know, D'Angelo Russell may have been the uh, the, the biggest uh, name to go. Uh, but, you know, you did see probably bigger scale trades than many of us thought this time last week. But, of course, you know, with the Grizzlies, um, you know, the, the, they had one of the more significant moves out there. Um, and, it, it, you know, the main one, the main part of it was with Miami. Uh, for those that have followed along, just to recap, uh, the main move was the Grizzlies trading Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, and Solomon Hill to Miami for, originally, Deion Waiters, James Johnson, and, of course, Justice Winslow. Through that move, the Grizzlies also did an add-on in which they sent Johnson to Minnesota for uh, backup center I want to make sure I get his name right. Gorgie Dang, I believe is, is how you say his name. Um, but all in all, that's the move that we'll focus on first. Of course, a couple of smaller uh, moves that, you know, were byproducts of this main one. But just, in, you know, there's probably p- pros and cons to this move. Looking at the pros, looking at the positives of this move, what are your initial thoughts about, you know, what should be a pretty significant move in the matter of this rebuild for the Grizzlies? Yeah, um, I'll say this, never in a million years would I expect the three of them to be packaged together and sent out somewhere. Um, I think Miami was probably the only place that could happen because they had a handful of bad contracts. Um, and so they you know, they pulled it off. There were several that were arguing that um, we needed to keep one of Jay or Solo for their veteran presence in the locker room. I was on the page of get rid of them both because they're expiring assets that will just walk um, at the end of the season. If we can get something for them, we get something for them. And they did that. Um, they made the right move, um, rumored to make the right move in cutting Dion Waiters, uh, buying him out. You don't want him near your team and near your young guys. Um, flipping James Johnson for Borgie Dang is incredible. Um, when when Carl Anthony Towns missed his stretch of games that he missed, Dang was phenomenal. Um, hitting threes, blocking shots, rebounding the ball like crazy. Um, we've we've had some games where we really missed the presence of a true backup five, and they nailed it by by taking uh, Dang back in this contract. And then Justice Winslow. Um, early in the day, when we were, I was talking with some guys, um, and I said, "What if it's Justice Winslow?" And some guys were like, "Well, that dude's like, uh, he's glass. He's he's always hurt, and yeah, he's he's been injured, but I think he's exactly the kind of guy that would fit right in with this young core. It's just insane what this front office has done, just building our young core from basically Mike Conley." Um, flipping him and just the, the trail of things that we've gotten in return from Mike Conley and then just taking Iguodala and letting him sit and, uh, you know, push the narrative that he pushed. We got a first round pick out of that and it turned into um, along with some stuff from the, the Conley package into a 23 year old good small forward. Now he's not a phenomenal lifestyle three point shooter, but he can play the point guard. 
he can guard all five positions. And it's just when you put him next to Dylan and Ja and Jaron and Brandon and I mean, if Josh Jackson continues to be anything, they just they keep blowing my mind. It was a phenomenal deadline. It was. It was it was a phenomenal deadline that is there it's a I don't want to say complicated, but it's potentially a complex um deadline deal. And and, and not just in the deal itself, but you know, it seems like that this is a deal that, you know, if you keep – the more you keep things simple, the more it makes sense. And with this Grizzlies team, this Grizzlies front office, um, you know, that that is something that's a bit of a change of pace. And, and what I mean by that is this. Like Justin, Justin said, at the end of the day, if you could take Jay, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill, and Andre Iguodala, and you could sit here and get – the potential of a player like Justice Winslow locked in for this year and beyond. If you can get Winslow to pay, play at his potential, it's a definite win. There's no doubt about it. There's a very good chance that Winslow, if he plays and stays healthy, he certainly outperforms the value of his contract. But there also is, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's cons, but there are perspectives that have made this trade in the eyes of many you know, potentially, you know, categorizes a loss for Memphis. And, and and I don't think that it is, from that perspective, I don't think it's that simple. You know, Justin had mentioned that in the, you know, aftermath of the Mike Conley trade, here's where the Grizzlies stand in terms of what they've got for Mike Conley. They've got Brandon Clark, DeAnthony Milton, Josh Jackson, Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen, Justin Winslow, likely the 2022 Utah first-round pick, likely the 2024 Golden State first-round pick, and two um, second-round picks from Phoenix, which should be valuable. You can throw Dang in there as well now since we know he's part of the equation. The Grizzlies from one move, this front office, has just continued to make res- to make moves that are resounding success after resounding success. And in their short time, they have established such a high expectation that with every move they make, it not only makes sense, but it just makes it, it, it makes such good sense beyond anybody anything can expect. And then this move is made, and now it's not as clear of a resounding success. There are potential negatives. There, it's debatable. And for that reason, compared to the other moves that this Grizzlies front office has made, that potentially makes people, I think, over-exaggerate their negative perspectives. Yes, the Grizzlies did take on two bad contracts that many thought they would need to be uh, incentivized with picks to take on. They weren't. They obviously were able to make more of the situation by replacing Johnson with Dang, who now either can be a potential trade asset into next year or at least fits a need for this roster better than Johnson would. Waiters obviously was a loss that you cut at, at the time. A lot of the outside perspectives out there are that, you know, the Grizzlies got, you know, I don't want to use fleeced, but the fact that Miami was able to take two of their bad contracts and only have to attach them to Justice Winslow to to be able to remove those bad contracts, that they view that as such a win for Miami. But that's where that perspective should end. It likely is a win for Miami. But just because the Grizzlies took all those bad contracts, that doesn't make this a loss. It makes it to where the, the only reason that Justice Winslow was available, a, a person of his talent was available, was because of the fact that he often is injured. And so because of that, and because the Grizzlies had the room, they were able to take him on. So in terms of looking at the Grizzlies side of things in a negative light, just because you feel Miami did well on their end, that's kind of flawed. You know, in the end, the Grizzlies did what they needed to do. They turned assets that had very little value beyond this year, hardly any value at all, into a piece that potentially could elevate their rebuild in time if he could stay healthy. I think another reason why the Grizzlies move may be looked at, you know, in a not so positive light is now all that cap space that potentially was there for this summer, um, you know, it is not there. And it's not just because the Grizzlies don't have it to where they go after a free agent. It it, it makes sense to where there just was not a free agent that was out there. 
But I think from a lot of people's perspective, it was the fact that through next year, the Grizzlies front office has now given up cap space that they could have been creative with. Their, their creativity now probably is a bit less just because they don't have the asset of cap space to work with. I can get that argument to an extent, but on that same end, you know, what realistically would have been out there? The potential to take on bad contracts to get more picks, the potential to sit here and, you know, take on, you know, you know, potentially get a big trade in place that may have been there, but you never know. There was a lower chance of the Grizzlies really being able to make an impact move, like getting a talent like Winslow, if they would have kept that cap space free. So I think that's, you know, if there's cons that are there, it's the idea that this Grizzlies front office would have continued. It's the fact that the Grizzlies front office with Winslow focused on an end instead of using this move as a means to an end. They, a lot of people want to say, basically put all their chips on the table with Winston being the payoff versus getting more assets. And from that perspective, I can understand where it may be, you know, a, a bit of a letdown. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that Winslow is, you know, potentially a best case scenario. That's as good of a scenario as you could have got out of the three assets that you traded, plus with the cap space that you gave up, that flexibility. Winslow Steel is an attractive piece to have. Justin, your thoughts, do, do you get the negative side of things? And if Winslow is healthy, how do you see him specifically impacting the Grizzlies in a positive way? I, I can see where the negative viewpoint is coming from. And part of that is because the national media worships Iguodala for some reason. Um, yeah, he won a finals MVP. That's that's great, but he averaged what three points a game last year um, for a role player to make to make this big of a deal over. Um, I, I don't I don't get that part of it. I I would you know for the same reasons that you brought out. Like I, I wouldn't say that this deal was a risk or negative. You weren't keeping these three guys. Like you you took the same chance. You took you got D'Anthony Melton for taking on Josh Jackson. And you've got Justice Winslow for taking on Deion Waiters and uh, James Johnson, which you were able to flip for a much better piece than James Johnson. What's the risk? Like you said, you're not signing anybody in restricted free agency. You just that was your free agent signing in Justice Winslow. Period. So to to say that we gave up a whole no, Iguodala wasn't playing for you. Jay Crowder arguably needed to go anyways because we play better with Kyle Anderson starting. Um, and Crowder's, you know, beginning of the season hot streak was kind of fading. He wasn't shooting at the same clip that he was. And Solomon Hill, like, there's a reason that that dude's been flipped around so many different teams recently. He can only give you so much. Now, I hope Jay and Solo go to Miami and they contribute and they go on a huge playoff run because they played their tails off in Memphis. They were great leaders for our guys. But in the end, there's no negative for Memphis on this deal. Yeah, Wednesday, Winslow's hurt. You didn't lose anything. You, you you didn't you didn't lose anything by by taking on the move. Um, to to argue about cap space, well, that just means you haven't paid attention to what's coming up in the summer. Only some restricted free agents that were probably going to be matched by the team that they're on. The goal is summer of 2021, and and our we need to remember that our goal is still the future. This year was not supposed to be what it is right now. Um, so anything in the in the direction of the future is a plus. It's a win. Um, the fact that we're 26 and 26 is phenomenal. Uh, but you know we weren't supposed to be there. Like we were predicted to only have 25 at the end of the season, and we're already here before the All Star break with that you know surpassing that win total. So to be negative about any move that was made, I I don't get that at all. Um, I think we should be excited about the chances that our front office has taken on. And like we've talked about before, like we knew that Chandler Parsons had knee problems, but in Memphis, those are the kind of chances you have to take to hit on somebody because we're not an attractive free agent destination. Now going forward, this could be different because we've never had a superstar as we do in John Morant. So that may make us more uh, attractive as a free agent destination to play alongside him. But in the end, we're in a market where we had to take risks and Winslow was worth every bit of that risk. Yes, I, I, I definitely can say this again. You know, at the end of the day, you know, 
keeping it simple probably is the best way to go in, in, in some perspectives. But but the, the the way that you look at it is this: if if your biggest issue with this trade is the fact that the Grizzlies moved all their potential pieces, including you know the, the, that's the one. I don't necessarily call it negative, but the one the one argument or perspective that I can see in terms of you know favoring the what if versus what they did is the Grizzlies front office's creativity with that cap space. You know what else could you have done? But at the end of the day, the potential of a player like Justice Winslow, even if you would have got more assets, more draft picks, things like that, you actually finding a talent if you would have kept all that cap space available that could play to the level of Justice Winslow when healthy, that was that, that was going to be a pretty hard find. So at the end of the day, if you're looking at getting Justice Winslow and his injury questions versus keeping the um, cap space open and the potential for the Grizzlies' creativity, matching those two simplified perspectives up, I'll go Justice Winslow. Again, I, I know that the Grizzlies have, have set a precedent to where they are masters at making moves as means to an end to make other moves. But at some point, you've got to add to this roster, and that means focusing on an end. And in this case, it's Justice Winslow, and I think, no pun intended, he will wind up doing this front office justice for focusing on him and having um, you know, the, the value that they place on him. If he stays healthy, I think he'll definitely be worth it in the end to make this trade a success. But let's shift our focus to this year. And Justice Winslow himself is probably going to be on the shelf for a little while longer. But the Grizzlies did add two other pieces that they are, you know, very excited, I would say, to add to make themselves bigger. At the end of training camp this year, right before the season, the Grizzlies uh, made two roster cuts that significantly took away from their size. They wanted to go small ball. The Grizzlies have not really suffered that much in terms of rebounding. They've been a pretty good defensive rebounding team. However, their size has lacked a little bit. And with Brandon Clark and John Jackson Jr. now further into a season than they have been before, and Jonas Valanciunas, you know, obviously having you know, a bit of an injury history himself, adding names like Gorgie Dang and Jordan Bell to the equation certainly is a positive. Justin, how do you see Bell and Dang fitting into the Grizzlies' rotations? And, and do you think that those were uh, astute additions uh, that will allow for the Grizzlies to, you know, further, you know, quiet one of their weaknesses, which was offensive rebounding and, you know, mashing up against reserve bigs? Do you think that these were smart moves for the Grizzlies to make now and going forward? So what I'm curious to see, um, that puts five bigs, in the rotation. And as a coach, um, I think I want four, you know? Um, so what I, what I'm curious is, is Brandon, is BC going to get some run as a three? Um, are we going to see some lineups with, uh, Jaron, BC and Bell out there together? Um, I don't know because Bell's not really a spread the floor kind of guy. He's a, he's a rim, he's a Clint Capella type. He's a, he's a rim runner, rebounder, um, shot blocking kind of guy. He's, you know, he was a starting uh, player on a, a Warriors championship team uh, due to some need at that position. But um, he's been there. He's done it. Um, he's Dylan Brooks' former teammate, so the chemistry is going to be there. Um, so I, I get the moves to shore up some size and do that, but I think only bringing in one would have been enough with. And having four bigs in the rotation would have been would have been plenty. Now I think it kind of creates a logjam in the front court. So I don't know if Bell's just going to come in and kind of, you know, try to find where he fits, or if BC's really going to get some run at the three, and um, we just have some super athletic guys on the floor for uh, Jaw to throw the ball up to. And I think that you focus, you hit the nail on the head. In terms of the rotation, in terms of the lineup, the ideal number probably is four. But that doesn't mean that you can't have more than four options to fit those four spots. Obviously, your three bigs are Jonas, Jaron, and Brandon. But in that four spot, you now have the ability to maximize on the strengths of Bill and Gorgie Dane. 
against teams that clearly have size. If you can get 40 minutes out of the combination of Jonas Valanciunas and Dane in those matchups, it, it, it allows for you to be able to stay competitive and, and minimizes the weaknesses of, of the size that you're facing. In matchups against teams that are going to feature small ball lineups, Jordan Bell can effectively play a five uh, the five spot uh, in small ball lineups. He, he's a rim runner who can add benefit defensively himself. So I think that that's the way to focus on it. And, and I also think that with Bell and Dang in place now, and with Josh Jackson, you know, also in place, there's an argument to be made that those guys are of more value than like a Solomon Hill and a, um, a Bruno Caboclo. You know, now with Kyle Anderson in the starting position, yes, Jay Crowder may have been a good reserve, but if you're looking at Kyle Anderson in the starting position, Josh Jackson coming off the bench to kind of take his spot, and at the end of the bench, you have Bell instead of Caboclo, and you add in Dang, you know, potentially in place of Solomon Hill, that is a sensible, that's a more sensible option lineup for your rotations than what the Grizzlies previously had. And I think we'll add more value. So I get your well, point. So, you don't want to go ahead. Yeah. So what I'm thinking, like, as you say that my mind's turning, like, no, we're not making moves for this year because the, the playoffs aren't really our you know main goal, but they've kind of become a reality. So, what I hear you saying is that, say we're the eight seed, the Lakers hang on to the one seed, they've got size with Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee. Well, when Jonas comes off the floor and Dwight Howard comes on, you know, Brandon Clark's going to get pushed around. But now, he's, you know, it's Gorgie Jane that comes in and can defend Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee or whatever backup big for the Lakers is. And that if you go small ball against the Rockets in the first round or, you know, whatever, you know, if you were to face them, then Jordan Bell can, and Clark can run the five and and do those things. That that makes a lot of sense when you when you look at it as uh, you know option A, like having a bullpen. Like I've got a the lefty on lefty matchup or the righty on righty matchup. You know, depending on how the game's going and who I'm bringing in. That uh, that makes some really good sense. And that was and that's my main point. Instead of having a traditional lineup set that you go into each game where this certain guy gets this certain minutes and this certain lineups, all that different stuff, having the ability to adapt to the person to, to the team that you're playing and going matchup specific to where one game Gorgie Dang may get 15 minutes to Bell's 10, the other game Bell may get 15 to Gorgie's five. It just really depends on what you're playing and what matchups you see. But that's the goal of having these talents in place now. You're more equipped to maximize against the teams that you're playing. And also, I think you um, do a better job on defense. You Now, because the Grizzlies' defense as a whole, it, it probably is weaker on the perimeter than it is in the post. Now you have our stock full of average to above average post defenders that should give your perimeter guys more confidence and knowing that they can stay in their spots, remain disciplined, create turnovers and contest shots. So it's all in what the options that you can choose from versus the options that you had to choose from. And that's why I think the addition of Bell and um, uh, Dang makes sense. Speaking Let me ask of you a question. Go ahead. Are the Grizzlies the deepest team in the NBA? No. Who's deeper? I do not. I, I can't really give a team off the top of my head, but like, for instance, the, the, the Clippers, for instance, when you're talking about deep, are we talking about the quantity of players that'll play, or are we talking about the quality of talents that will play? So the Clippers, for instance, have much more quality deeper. The Grizzlies don't have bench options like Montrezl Harrell or um, uh, Lou Williams that they're going to be able to uh, feature in a game versus um, the, uh, the, the in a series versus the Clippers. On that end, though, if deep by deepest you mean that the Grizzlies are one of the few teams that can sit here and play 10 to 11 guys comfortably, yeah, they're probably one of the deepest teams in the NBA. And that in of itself probably has more value for a team like the Grizzlies than just necessarily having, you know, just as many quality guys as possible. Because again, like I mentioned, you're going to start that you've already seen it since January 20th, the Grizzlies offense, which has carried them this year, 
They are 25th in offensive rating since January 20th. They're fifth in defensive rating since that time. What that tells me is, is that the offense, you're probably seeing some of these younger players run into a bit of a wall because they're playing farther into a season than they ever had. You're also seeing that the league is adjusting to their ability to play, and we're put facing more competition. So because of the fact that we now can go 10 to 11 people deep, to your point, Justin, is that this allows for our players to remain fresh. It lessens the likelihood of injury. It allows for our players to be able to remain fresh and also allows for them to, you know, while they're on the bench, observe what's going on and make it easier to adjust. So in terms of quality, I don't think the Grizzlies have the deepest bench in the NBA. In terms of quantity, I think they do. But I think that quantity, again, for a young roster by the Grizzlies is very, very important to keep their main guys fresh, away from injury, and also allow for them to be able to have, you know, that freshness during games. So as the competition gets harder going forward, they'll have more of a chance to be able to pull off a few unexpected wins to really stay ahead in the playoff push. Yeah, I would have to go with you. I mean, obviously, we can't we can't compete with Lou Williams and and Montrez Harrell coming off the bench. Um, but I do think, as far as the number of bodies that we can run out there and you be okay and comfortable with, there's no doubt that if we're not the deepest, we're one of the top um, teams in the league as far as bench depth goes. And that just goes to our front office of the fact that we have you know, nearly 85 to 90% of these guys are returning next year. You know, that's the point of it. You know, again, having depth in the NBA, you know, it's great to have quality. That's what you want. But having depth, especially for a young roster that's developing, carries a lot of value. Speaking of value and making sense, the other big move that happened on Wednesday night, as a result, it kind of as a, a byproduct, indirect byproduct of the move made to bring it to trade Iguodala and to trade the players that we played, the Grizzlies were able to lock up Dylan Brooks for three years and $35 million. Now, uh, many places, you know, this podcast has mentioned on a few occasions, unlike the Core 4 podcast that has supported Brooks through and through, both you and I had mentioned, you know, the outside-the-box possibility of shopping Brooks at the trade deadline if you thought he would be too expensive. Well, the Grizzlies were smart. They locked him up before it got to that point. And as a result, they have him at three years, $35 million. It seems like a good value deal for both Dylan and the Grizzlies. Your thoughts on them locking him up? And, and, and what are your initial thoughts as to, okay, with this contract, here's how Dylan can fit going forward? So I haven't looked at um... – everything that I would like to look at to, to say what I'm about to say. But if I'm not mistaken, that the, the timing of the three years would be right around the time when we've got to really pay um, John Morant um, as far as his extension goes and maybe even Jaron. So I think we got Dylan at a good price. Um, I think it might have been, even been a steal based on the way that he's played this year. Um I, I again, am not the biggest Brooks fan. Um, he's he's growing on me this year because he's he's becoming more consistent. Um, he's he's not he he just he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He plays hard. He hustles. Um, he gets everything he's got. Um, and it, it feels like he's taking less dumb shots uh, as the season goes on. I guess maybe because he's trusting his teammates more. Maybe his teammates are like, "Hey, man, like stop doing that crap." But I think because the way that the, the money is, you've got your two best players are on rookie deals. And that is a blessing for a, for a team because you can use the money to build around them rather than having to throw the money at them and then use what you have left to build around them. Um, and so I think the timing of, of the, the length of years, I'm, I'm okay with. I'm okay with the price as well. Um, so in the end, while you know, would I rather have somebody else yes but would we get somebody else probably not so I think um, I still believe that Dylan Brooks is going to be best for this team off the bench where he can just come in and get buckets Um, but right now where we're at I think that was the right move for this team so to your point 
talking about the contracts, um, I think you bring up an excellent point in regards to Dylan Brooks. And and this goes back, this kind of encompasses the long-term view of this trade overall, at least in my opinion. And Justin, you know, chime in here as we discuss this. So with the Grizzlies signing Dylan Brooks, obviously they've already made commitments to where they're going to have Kyle Anderson for the next two years and around eight and a half to nine million a year. They're going to have Tyus Jones for the next two years for around eight and a half million a year. They're going to have to re-sign Melton. He'll hopefully be, you know, a contract maybe that will come up a little bit shorter than uh, what um, Tyus Jones has got. But so now you've got those guys is being, you know, either the a rotating door as a fifth starter for the Grizzlies or, you know, the, the main backup lineup that you have. But signing Brooks and getting that depth locked in to support the development of your main core, led by John Jaron, Brandon Clark as well, Jonas Valanciunas as kind of a fourth main guy. The focus is, is that the Grizzlies have locked in depth to have a strong bench and have their main starting lineup develop. But would like you mentioned, the other part of this deal, signing this depth in place, getting cost certainty from that, Plus, having the contracts that they got from this trade, the Dan contract, the waiter's contract that they'll have to pay through next year, and Winslow's contract, you now come to that 20, the, two, the summer of 2021. At that point, Jaron Jackson Jr. will be in the final year of his contract. We're talking about the 2021-2022 season. Jaron Jackson Jr. will be in the final year of his contract. Ja will be entering the third year of his contract. So what the Grizzlies have set up for is that they've got the depth in place over the next two years to support the development of seeing their rebuild through, seeing how far Ja, Brandon, and Jaron can truly develop. And then when you get to the summer of 2021, now you start to see if the Grizzlies could possibly get another significant talent added. In 2021, you sign that significant talent to whatever type of deal it may be. Then the next year, you would have in the summer of 2022, that's when you would have to extend Jaron, obviously, start paying him, you know, mega money. The year after that is when you would have to pay John. So that's the focus of the Grizzlies. That's kind of the five-year plan, I guess you could say. Sign quality depth at good contracts to support the development of your main core. And then as those contracts expire, then you potentially, if the Grizzlies could get a, a, a good talent to come in in 2021, then you have a, a young core that you'll be locked into with three potentially all-star level players, you know, to take you through the next decade. I think that's the long-term plan for the Grizzlies and kind of the reason why they've signed all these contracts on that two to three year scale. Does that make sense, Justin? Is that is that kind of put into perspective why the Grizzlies made the moves that they made in the short and long term? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the salary cap table right now, um, and it looks like in the summer of uh, 2022, um, where we're on Jaws' final year of his, with his team option, which I honestly believe we may extend him before that point um, because we, we probably need to extend Jaron next year. Um, as well so that we don't even obviously they'll be restricted free agents and we'll, we'll match whatever offer comes um, their way so we're going to have those two guys for the next six seven years um, but the summer of 2022 there's I mean all the big names in the NBA are free agents it seems like um, Durant LeBron Steph Curry James Harden Russell Westbrook and Zach, Zach Levine like the list just goes on and on in 2022 um, and so all the, the, the you know the Dylan Brooks, the Jonas Valanciunas, the Justice Winslow, all those contracts are going to be off the books on that summer. So you can make the play that in 2021, hey, we've got some cap space to go sign a you know a a star, um, maybe not a superstar, to come in here. Um, we've got another year under our belt uh, with our core, probably pushing for the playoffs again next year. You know, come in here. Let's let's make a run with it like this. Or in 2022, with everybody off the books and everybody but you know Jaw and Brandon and Jaron, those three are the only guys that you have on the books in 2022. With all these other guys on the market, are we playing? Are they playing the game for 2022? Like, 
could that be what's happening, or are they playing for 2021 to go get one of? The, because there are there are some good names in the 2021 NBA free agency list. Are we playing for one of those, or are we ready for 2022 with only our three core guys on the on the roster? It's hard to answer that right now, but that's the beauty of it. And because the other thing to consider at that point is this: is that not only will the Grizzlies have their first round picks in place by that time, but they'll also have that um, 20, that likely 2022 first from Utah and the 2024 first potentially from Golden State. There will be more clarity about that. So not only will the value of the Grizzlies assets, you know, have grown, but you also have your options available. Plus you'll have the cap flexibility then as well. So that's the thing to also consider about the moves that are made right now. The Grizzlies are doing what they can to find the best way to support and cultivate the development of their main guys in John, Jaron, and Brandon. And then from there, they also, though, have maintained the future flexibility a few years from now from when those guys are getting into their prime, from when those guys are getting paid. Now the Grizzlies are having their assets and also the cap flexibility to truly support them whether that's through a third big star or through a trade or through just, you know, continuing to pick well, all those options are on the table. And that's the main takeaway overall from all of this is that the long-term view of the Grizzlies has not changed at all. In fact, it's probably only gotten better because of the fact that the Grizzlies have all these different avenues to where they can support the, the their young core in place, even when they start getting, you know, paid the big bucks and that's what you want as a rebuild. The Grizzlies have done nothing to, you know, uh, cause any issue with that. All that's still in place. So, you know, while the answers are not there right now, all of the potential options are still on the table. And that's, you know, a definite takeaway, a definite positive takeaway from what's happened over the past few days. But what we've been talking three about years, three years. Go ahead. Three years, the max that Dylan could have gotten. I believe that he could have gotten four years because um, I think that he would have been in a similar situation as even though as a second round pick, um, I'm not sure if he could have got a four year deal. I think he could have. I know that if he would have entered restricted free agency, Kyle Anderson got four years, but he had been a first round pick. So I think he could have got a fourth year, but three years, I think, is what you typically see when you extend a second round pick. Right. I just was curious that if, if four was an option, if there was a reason why we didn't go four. Um, and because for, for Dylan Brooks, it does not benefit him to be a free agent in 2022 because all these other guys are getting paydays. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the list. The, the restrictive free agent class is um, Jaron Jackson and Luka Doncic and Trey Young and Marvin Bagley and all those guys. So those guys are going to have fat contracts thrown at them if they're not already extended at that point. And then you've got all the big-name superstars that are going to be free agents as well. So my question is, it it makes me think that maybe three years with the max because it would not benefit Dylan to to not be rostered in 2022? Or did the Grizzlies say, hey, we're not going past 2022 because we're, you know – you know, I, that's that's just what where my thought process is. Did they leave that fourth off the table for him, um, or was it not an option because of what is available in 2022? I think potentially, as far as the Grizzlies go, if they could have gone a fourth year, you know that that that's fine. But I think three was a happy medium, and, and again, the reason why that is is because of this. I truly do feel that even though Dylan Brooks has improved as much as he has over the past. Um, this year, you have to also keep that context in, you know, you have to put, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Dylan has had a great December and a great January, but the quality of teams that the Grizzlies have played have been below par. If you look at Dylan's season as a whole and you compare what he's done versus teams over 500 versus teams under 500, it's night and day. His offensive rating goes down significantly when he plays either a current playoff team or a team over 500. Now, that's a general rule for most players. But the thing about it is, is that if the Grizzlies go a fourth year or if they would have had to pay $15 million, they want to make sure if they're going to invest that money, it's, versus, it's for a guy 
who will be able to make a difference when they're playing quality teams in the playoffs and against quality teams as seasons goes along. So I think that three years was a good price for Dylan because at that point, in all honesty, as other talents come to the Grizzlies and more significant talents may be on the roster, at that point, it's clear that Dylan might be just a bench player. And do you really want to sit there and keep paying a bench option, you know, 11 to 12 million? Probably not. So that's why I think the three years makes a lot of sense. I think Dylan will continue to develop. Do I ever think that he's truly going to be the starting two guard of a championship contender? No, I think that he could be a good reserve option for a championship contender. But if that's the case, that's not really a guy that you want to sit there and pay 11 to you know 12 million dollars, you know, for several more years, pat you know, into his prime if he's just a reserve score. The other thing that I'll say though is this: is that while we're talking about the long-term future, there still remains the present, and the Grizzlies are in the midst of a playoff hunt where. If things continue to go well over the next few days, if there are a few more losses for, say, the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, whatever it may be, you know, the Grizzlies could see themselves with you know, a three or better game cushion into the uh, All-Star break. But Justin, looking at that, you know, this game coming up Wednesday night is a big one for the Grizzlies, and they're going to have to play this probably their, you know, the strongest score that they've played in more than a month and Damian Lillard. Good thing is, is that the Trailblazers have to play two games between now and then, while the Grizzlies are done until then. The Trailblazers are playing at home tonight, Sunday night against the Heat. They also are going to play on the road on Tuesday night in New Orleans, so they're going to be on the second night of a back-and-back. How important do you think that game is Wednesday night, and and do you feel that this will be a very good matchup, you know, with Jaw versus Damian? Uh, of really being able to see kind of how jaw matches up against right now the best point guard in the NBA. Um, the more I watch Portland and, and New Orleans play right now, um, the the more nervous I am about the reality of the, us hanging on to to the eighth seed. Um, man. Zion has made a bigger difference than I ever thought he would on that team. Um, but Portland, I mean, there's not a player in the league right now that can stop Damian Lillard, um, and he's pissed off. And um, I just don't think Jaw has a chance to guard Damian Lillard um, at all. And then, you know, Hassan Whiteside has been a, an absolute animal blocking shots and rebounding. So Jonas is going to have his handful. Um, if they're starting Carmelo with the four, you know, Jaron's going to get, you know, he's going to have some problems. I think Dylan could guard CJ, um, no problem. Uh, and then obviously Kyle Anderson and, you know, Kyle actually may end up guarding Carmelo and, and Jaron on Ariza. Um, but Lillard, I, I could see Lillard dropping 60 on Jaw's head pretty easy. But then, you know, Lillard is not a defensive stalwart himself. So I think Jaw could easily, um, you know, take it back at. Um, Lillard, um, as far as attacking the basket, obviously Jaws not going to pull up and hit threes from the logo with consistency. Um, I, I think it is a barometer. Um, I think it, if, if the Grizzlies compete in that game, if it's not a blowout, I would I would walk away okay with it. Um, if we win, great. Um, if we lose in a close one, hey, we're we're making strides. Um, we're we're almost there. Um, but I also wouldn't be shocked if the Trailblazers just run us off the floor either. Um, they're on fire right now. Um, you know, they got messed over by the NBA the other night, and I think they're going to be on a mission. Um, I, I could really see Portland being that team uh, that that sneaks into that eight seed over us because they just have too much talent on that team not to. And I agree with you 100%. Just, you know, in, in all honesty, when, when you break down the rosters of the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, and the Trailblazers, as of right now, the Grizzlies are the third best team out of that trio. That's not an insult to the Grizzlies. It's just in terms of natural talent. The Portland, the the, the, uh, the Pelicans, they have Brandon Ingram. The Grizzlies right now don't have a player that's playing at Brandon Ingram's level. That's the reason why he's an all-star. They also have Zion Williamson. Now, you can make your long-term arguments for Jaw and Zion, but at the very least, Zion is a similar level prospect to Jaw. You know, logically could be a bit better at this point in time. That's why he was drafted number one. 
when you compare the Grizzlies roster to uh, Portland, the Grizzlies don't have anybody that's on Damian Lillard's level. That's just the honest truth. And you could sit here and say the Grizzlies are the deepest team of the three. That's fine. But in terms of quality, I, I think it's hard to make that argument. You also have to look at the fact that the Grizzlies are going to be facing tougher competition. They are going to be facing, I believe, the top four teams in the West or the, the top five teams in the West. I think to round out February and March, they face the Lakers and the Clippers three out of their first six games or something like that. The schedule is only going to get tougher. Meanwhile, the Pelicans are going to have a schedule for the last um, four weeks of their season that mimics what the Grizzlies faced in January. So right now, the Grizzlies' best asset is not how their talent matches up with these other opponents that are in the race with them. If that's the case, the Grizzlies are shorthanded. That's not favorable for the Grizzlies. Where the Grizzlies can find you know, potential favor is taking care of business against those teams while also being able to hopefully take advantage of their cushion, being able to sit there and get a few unexpected wins after the All-Star break. But the reason why Wednesday night is so important is because of the fact that it's a two-game swing. Likely, the Portland Trailblazers are going to come into that game either two or three games behind the Grizzlies. If Portland wins, they're within at least two, maybe one game of Memphis. If Memphis wins, they're likely at least three maybe four games ahead of Portland. That's how big this game Wednesday is. And yes, while a win is not going to sit there, it shouldn't change your perspective on anything, it would be nice to have that. It would be nice to have that narrative to talk about and go into through the long break, you know, when it comes to the All-Star game. Another thing that I will say in terms of the Grizzlies facing Lillard is this. Over, uh, up from January 20th, and I just used that as a, a barometer because that is just a, that was the loss to the Pelicans and when the Grizzlies started playing a little bit tougher schedule. Since January 20th, and now what has been nine games for the Trailblazers, Damian Lillard has averaged 42 points a night, shooting 51% from the field and 53% from three, while also averaging nearly 10 assists. He's making seven threes a game. However, the next guy on that list in terms of scoring is Bradley Beal. In the game tonight, the Grizzlies um, showed that, you know, they may have a little bit of a, um, a way of not stopping but containing, um, you know, a tough score. And his name is DeAnthony Melton. Now, I'm not saying that Melton's going to sit there and just completely shut down Damian Lillard. You're not going to do that. But if you can make it to where he doesn't have an efficient scoring night, then you may have a chance. McCollum is a good secondary scorer, but I do think you're right. I think that, you know, the, between Kyle Anderson and um, uh, Dylan, they may have the chance to ca- kind of calm down Carmelo and uh, McCollum a bit. But DeAnthony Melton, I don't think could stop, but might be able to make life a little tougher for Dane. So I do think that the Grizzlies, they had a nice warm-up of things tonight facing Beal for that game against Lillard. Without a doubt, though, it's going to be a big game. Justin, the other thing that will happen between the next time that we talk and, you know, us talking now is the All-Star break. And as we wrap up on on this edition of the 3D uh, podcast, any thoughts on the All-Star break and just, you know, what you're hoping to see? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm excited to watch uh, our three rising stars um, compete in that game. Uh, and, and Jaron and Brandon hopefully getting some opportunity to go at each other. Um, other than that, uh, you know, disappointed that Jaw didn't accept the invitation to the dunk contest and uh, that the NBA didn't reach out to Jaron about the three-point shooting contest. Um, but... You know, I've kind of gotten over the, the All-Star weekend. Um, it's kind of lost its appeal to me. Um, if a Grizzlies in it, I'm going to watch. But outside of that, um, it's, it's lost its luster, in my opinion, and I'll spend my time doing something else. That's a fair take. You know, the All-Star games in general across all the sports are, you know, they're just not what they were. Um, and it's just, you know, in time, they're a limited product. They, You know, they, they're not an actual representation of what you see. I'll be tuning in a little bit because I think that it's going to be fun to see, you know, while it's going to be very much a, a gimmicky type setup, it's going to be for a good cause this year um, and for the right reasons, for 
moderating a Kobe and Gianna Bryant. But I do agree with you. The, the product itself is not what it used to be, obviously. Uh, I, the potential for the slam dunk competition is never where you want it to be. But in the end, you know, if the Grizzlies are going to be there, I, I think that it'll be fun to watch. And, you know, it, while the team as a whole, the roster as a whole will get a long break, I think it will be, you know, rewarding for the fans to see the young talents that we love and we get to see every night on the national stage, really in taking that in for the first time. And, you know, in all honesty, if we continue to thrive, I think that John, ja and Jaron and, you know, Brandon, I think these guys are our ticket to maybe even get the all-star game to come to Memphis. You know, that's the level that we're on right now with these guys in terms of future potential, you know, that talking about that, you never would have thought that before. It's not that hard to, you know, really see happening with, with the star potential that's there now. Justin, as we wrap up this edition of the 3 and D podcast, do you have anything else to add uh, before we uh, head off for another week? Well, while we were talking, a world report came through saying that uh, the Lakers are going to begin having conversations with Dion Waiters. Um, so we may not have bought out Iggy for him, but we bought out uh, Mr. Gummy Bear himself. And they're interested in things like <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's the whole point of it is that that's just part of the NBA. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the Lakers are at a level that we would love for the Grizzlies to eventually be at. I think the Grizzlies made the right move. Yeah, in terms of the accounting of things, you know, it may have made sense to you know, wait or whatever with waiters. But I think the Grizzlies are prioritizing the right things in terms of just having another, you know, Absent, you know, I think as John uh, uh, Hollinger put it, a contract hostage, having another storyline out there where you, you're paying another player just to stay away from the team. We've seen that enough. We, we, we made the most of it. If he doesn't have any part of the future with here with the Grizzlies, just send him on, get him taken care of, and go from there. I think the Grizzlies did right by doing that. So um, we'll see what happens, but it, it'll be an exciting night. Hopefully we can end the first half on a good note on Wednesday. For Justin Lewis, my name is Sean Coleman. As always, we love talking with you on the 3D Podcast. Please let us know if you have any opinions, reviews, questions, comments. You can always find us again on Twitter at 3D Pod. Have a great night, guys. Go Grizzlies. And if we don't talk to you before, enjoy the All-Star break. Bye-bye.